You can be seated. Have the honor of introducing our guest preacher, Marshall Jackson Wilburn, um, here at Solano. Uh, part of our goal and our value is to hear from and learn from diverse kingdom voices. And so uh, we have been privileged to be in relationship with Marshall uh, through Jody and through Andrew Hoffman uh, and their work at the Bay Area Rescue Mission. Um, uh, both Marshall and her husband, Port, are um, just deeply involved in the local church here in the East Bay. They, uh, uh, Port has founded a, a church, uh, which Marshall uh, has helped to uh, lead, and, uh, and it's called Rock Harbor. Is that Rock, Rock Harbor Fellowship? They're also involved with church planting and denominational leadership, uh, as well as the different um, things that they do to, to help with the homeless and those at risk, like at the Bay Area Rescue Mission. So I want to bring up Marshall as I kind of do her introduction so she could be up here with me. I have a couple questions for her. Um, now, how, how did you meet Jody? Can you tell us that? Can you, I don't know that story. How did you meet her? Uh, Jody actually came down, as Jody does, bouncing around. <laughs> and um, Elijah was actually okay. uh, our connection. Elijah came down to be a tutor at the after-school program that I was directing at that time for awesome. the mission. And so he was tutoring our elementary kids, and then she and I connected. We found out we were both pastors' wives mm. and, you know, endeavoring to advance his kingdom here in the Bay. Amen. And so, yeah. That's Praise how. God. Open that doors, was when serendipity. Elijah, I think, was still in middle school, so Okay, it's while. been a little while. That's good. <laughs> Okay, a few other things I, wanted, I need to say about you is uh, you have a degree in clinical psychology, okay, a yes. career in education, and you are passionate about teaching and encouraging others to live their purpose fully uh, with strong life. Now, you also mentioned that in your bio that you love digging into the word and you said simmering <laughs> in the word with capital letters. So can you explain what you mean by simmering? Well, simmering, if you think about, you know, we eat fast food, we use microwaves, and we do things quickly. I propose that God is not favorable to quickies. He wants <laughs> okay. us to simmer, mm. and simmer like in a crock pot, mm. where you allow for whatever the meal is to cook uh, for a good period of time, and mm. you think about it. What you cook in a microwave does not smell like what you cook in a crock Amen. pot. That's right. You simmer, you permeate, it just brings all the flavors and the aroma out. So it's just taking time to dig into God's word, meditate, contemplate. I'll, yeah, I love that. Uh, we need to hear that. We're kind of a microwave culture, I think is what you're <laughs> we saying. Are. And, and, we are. And God's word, God's word, we need to be a simmering culture with mm -hmm. the word of God and just let the richness of the flavors of the gospel come out in our lives. And, exactly. And um, that's awesome. Uh, so I want to pray uh, before she uh, shares her word. We're going to pray together. And so I'm going to pray. I want the, the, the focus of my prayers to be on the Barrier Rescue Mission and the Wilburn family. So, so I'm going to, um, just a couple things to, to uh, share about uh, the Bay Area Rescue Mission is, you know, it, they, um, their main ministry is to serve the homeless. So those who need a place to 
uh, kind of get back on their feet, shelter, food. And they actually offer a program, uh, at least this is what I'm familiar with, mm-hmm. uh, a one-year program to actually help uh, teach them and, and train them to uh, re-enter society ready to work and to try to work through their issues. And so on Saturdays, on the third Saturday of the, of the month, we get to uh, go Solano volunteers and just have a time of fellowship and worship. So I have had the privilege of sitting down with many of the students and hearing their stories. Um, often there's, there's heartbreak behind those stories. Yes. Um, there's, there's inspiration behind their courage and their humility to come and, and ask for help. And say they, they're there because they know they need help. And right. so uh, they're always open uh, to praying. And I've had the privilege of laughing with some of them, hearing their stories, mm-hmm. and, of course, praying for them. Uh, so, And then the other cool thing that I, I recently realized had happened was that you guys built a building next to your main one that specifically is for women. Yes. And so what I was reading was that um, you noticed during the pandemic or leading up to the pandemic, but especially during the pandemic, you were uh, turning away a lot of women with children. And so now you've opened up that facility. You have brought women in. Mm -hmm. Um, But that, I'm sure, adds a level of complexity. Oh, most definitely. And some tensions. I I noticed (laughs) at the Barrier Rescue Mission on Saturdays, there's a lot more kids now and families running around, which is awesome, which means ministry is growing. But that means we need more of God's grace uh, exactly. to, to be at work there. So I'm going to pray. Would you pray with me? I'm going to start off by reading a scripture that is important to their work, important for us as a church uh, to keep in our minds. It's from Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Lord, we want to be sobered by that vision you give us, that when you come, Lord, you are going to identify one-to-one with the least of these in our midst. And how we treat them, you say, is how we treat you. Lord, so I thank you for raising up by your spirits, the Bay Area Rescue Mission, and the Wilburn family, Lord, to be people who give of their own lives so much to care and welcome the least of these. And now we are here as a church ready to humbly learn from them, follow their lead, Lord, and ask that you would expand our ability to also do this gospel ministry. Lord, I want to pray for some people in the Barry Rescue Mission by name, Anthony and Bobby and Joe and Victor and Emily and Ephraim, and Mike, and Paris, and Ramon, and Stephen, and Jesse, and Rocky, and Anika, 
and Joran and Frankie. And Lord, those are just a few of the many names that I know are swimming in Marshall's heart and, the, and, and the, 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 the people who work there, Lord. We ask you to be with them in great power. I'll lift them up, Lord, out of uh, darkness, Lord, into your glorious light, Lord, and, and provide open doors for them to thrive uh, and be a light for you as you send them out from the Bayar Rescue Mission. Lord, we pray for this block party. It sounds like a fun event, but it has serious implications, serious things we're trying to do as we uh, engage and encourage and love uh, the least of these. And Lord, we pray for the Wilburn family as well. They are blessed with so many ministry opportunities uh, because of their willing spirit, but at the same time, they have so many ministry opportunities. And so we ask you would help them be wise and discerning as they navigate that. Lord, bless them with peace and rest uh, and let them also be available for their, uh, their children who are young adults and have, have new opportunities uh, uh, as they, as they uh, come of age, Lord. So uh, we thank you for Marcelle. Would you be with her as she preaches your word? And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Paul. Well, I am very blessed to be here today um, and so thankful for our relationship with Solano. I, I realized when I came in this morning, this is the first time I've actually been inside the sanctuary during the time of the pandemic and when your youth started gathering again, I guess out in the foyer or in the side there, our son um, Zion was participating with your youth group. So Solano is a second home for us. Um, my husband, Port, who I partner with in ministry, and I was just thinking, we have been on the ground doing urban missions, uh, urban missionaries for almost 20 years now, without a break. So <laughs> that's the reason uh, Pastor Paul was praying for us to just be able to have some rest and be rejuvenated um, after the first of the year. Uh, he did mention that we do have a lot of roles. So um, my husband is uh, a denominational leader over a network of 200 churches. So I was surprised this morning when he said he was able to be here with me because normally he's at two or three churches. <laughs> on a, a Sunday, but then I was like, oh, he did that yesterday, so, <laughs> so he visited two or three churches yesterday, we were at another church on Friday, and today we sang in Spanish, on Friday we sang in Portuguese, so that just kind of gives you an idea of all of the things that we do, lots of it. But um, I also have the opportunity to speak across the nation, specifically about urban missions and kind of bringing people into context in regards to what we see today in our postmodern culture. And a lot of times what will happen in churches is that we have been in our churches until the pandemic, doing our thing, inviting people to come to our churches, and the world outside was doing a whole lot of other stuff. So that's why we find ourselves today in this postmodern culture. And what I want to share with you today is because for such a time as this, we are in this postmodern culture, what is our responsibility as God's people? So basically, God's church on mission in a postmodern culture is my title today. And the text is coming out of 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. It's a lot of text, so I am going to go through it. But I would encourage you to go back and simmer 
in it because there are some key points that God pulled out for me to share with you today, but I'm sure that he would be gracious to let you see a whole lot more. So uh, let me go before the Father right now. Father God, we just thank you for an opportunity for us to gather together to lift up your name, Lord. May you be glorified in every word that is spoken. Father God, in every heart, Lord, I pray that your word would prick and convict and motivate us, inspire us, Lord Jesus, to be more of what you've called us to be in this world. We just thank you. We praise you for the faithfulness of your word. I pray now let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And in all things, you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So basically, I'm going to nerd out on you just a little bit, just because uh, I feel it's really important to give you some statistical information to help you gain a context of what we're going to be looking at today in 2 Peter. Um, I follow quite a few cultural leaders in the sense of those who are looking at the culture and determining what is going on from a perspective of Christianity. One of them is Jim Dennison, who runs the Dennison Forum, and this is the quote that I wanted to share with you to kind of frame our context. American Christians are under, under unprecedented pressure by our secularized culture to compromise big biblical truth and my morality. As we look at our world today, it's obvious, it is obvious that the divinely inspired morality from God is not the purveying viewpoint. It is not anymore. And so from that context, even though that's where we are as believers, the world is seeing a whole nother way of doing things. YOLO, you only live once, you do you, it's your truth. I heard that the other day on Law and Order from out of the mouth of a 12-year-old who was identifying as bi. This is my truth. And that's the world that we live in today. And so for us, as the church, what does that look like? So I want to give you some statistical information from George Barner Research. He is at the Arizona Christian University and the director over the research of the Cultural Center. Barna says in his American Worldview Inventory in 2021, non-traditional moral order in America, one that is highly relativistic in nature and hostile to the role of God in ordering human life, this is the norm for postmodern culture. Postmodernism rejects the idea of absolute truth and instead puts human reason, science, and subjective morality at the center of our nation's thinking and behavior. 16% of U.S. adults relying on each of the two competing worldviews, which is postmodernism and secularism, in their daily lives. So what has that resulted in? What we see is 88% of American adults hold to syncretism. We hear about that as far as in biblical theology, but what that means is picking and choosing elements from various worldviews, creating a hodgepodge of beliefs that often conflict and contradict one another. Yet, they say the Bible contradicts itself. A major reason for the extensive acceptance, and this is really key right here, of alternatives to the biblical worldview is that Christians are not devoted to understanding, discussing, and most importantly, living out the biblical worldview. 
So that within itself is the context of where this message is coming from. A little bit more research from Pew Research, which is a nonpartisan American think tank based in Washington, D.C. What they said was in 2020, 64% of Americans, including children, were Christian. 2020, that was just two years ago. 30% of people who were religiously, religiously unaffiliated, sometimes called religious nuns, they don't uh, ascribe to any religious beliefs, and 6% are adherents of all other religions, including Jews, Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists. If religious switching continues, we hear it as deconstruction, changing faith, leaving the faith, if religious switching continues at recent rates, speeds up, or stops entirely, the projection of Christians of all ages shrinking from 64% to between a little more than half 54%, and just about above one-third, 35% of all Americans by 2070. That's huge in the sense of going for 64% where we were just a little bit over half down to one-third. Over that same period, nuns would rise from the current 30% to somewhere between 34% and 52% in the United States, one nation under God. That is very daunting. It can appear very daunting, but I want us to take a look at, even though this is the cultural reality that we're dealing with, God knew that this was going to happen. But God's mission has not changed. So what I want to talk a little bit about is God's mission, and how we play a role in God's mission. I want you to think in terms of when you walked in here today, did you think of yourself as being a part of the bringing forth and bringing into, bringing to pass God's mission? If we don't think that way, and I will make a confession. Whenever I used to hear there was a missionary coming to church to speak to us, I would always cringe because I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go overseas. I don't want to be uncomfortable. And then what did God do? When my husband and I went to seminary, he said, we said, Lord, we sold our home. We'll go wherever you want us to go. He sent us right across the bridge because we both are from the San Francisco Bay Area. And then he said, now you're on mission. That's the thing a lot of us don't realize. We are all missionaries, but oftentimes we don't act like missionaries, which is why the world does not see Jesus the way they should see him. So let's take a look at what God's mission is. We go to a very familiar scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the mission of God. But 17 is oftentimes where we forget to focus on that. Yes, the world wants to hear that God is a loving God. They do want to hear that, but they don't want conviction. They don't want condemnation. But 17 tells us, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is God's mission. And though people are very familiar with John 3.16, they just focus on the love part. But we also know that God is a just God. 
So today what I'm hoping that we'll be able to see and you will be able to gain is a firm understanding of what it means to embrace, know, and live out God's mission. And then how does that translate in our day-to-day lives? So I am a lover of words. I love looking up the meaning of words and just really digging into the definitions because I believe it gives us a greater context as to what it is that we are saying. So today what I'm going to do is I'm gonna use the word firm and it's going to be an acronym for us. But let's look at the definition of firm first before I go into the acronym for the text that we're gonna be looking at today. Firm, according to Merriam-Webster, is securely or solidly fixed in place. Not weak or uncertain, vigorous, carried out forcefully and energetically strong, as well as having a solid or compact structure that resists stress or pressure. My hope and my desire is today, as we look at this word as an acronym for us working through what Peter is saying in 2 Peter 3, 1 through 18, that it will give us a better understanding of what God has already known was going to happen and what he said he expected us to do in the midst of it. So let's dig into uh, 2 Peter. And we'll start with verses uh, 1 through 3. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. So I want us to take a look at this just really quickly. This is Peter. Peter, who walked with Jesus, who was a disciple and an apostle of Jesus, who spent everyday life learning from Jesus. But Peter was also the one, when under pressure, who denied Jesus. So we're looking at him, and I love the fact that oftentimes when people look at the Bible, they think, oh, well, this couldn't be true because everybody just seems like they're perfect and on task. No, because we see the reality of Peter's humanity in the sense of him even failing Jesus in the midst of being persecuted, but at the same time being so passionate afterwards that he was not, to be, uh, not wanting us to do the same thing. Peter wrote this letter with a strong consciousness of God and what God's people should do with that consciousness manifested in our actions. So when he says this is the second letter, he's saying to them, I haven't just written to you once before, and it could be that he's talking about 1 Peter, that book that we have, or it could have been another letter, but here's the point. He's bringing it back to their remembrance. When I was teaching, I started off teaching in middle school and high school, and I taught math of all things, which, you know, middle schoolers were like, oh, I hate this class. But what I had to understand was first and foremost when I was teaching, I couldn't just teach a concept 
once and think that they were going to get it. So I would do spiral teaching where I'd go back around and again and again to the concept, looking at it in different perspectives. Peter is saying to here, I'm bringing this back to your remembrance. It's not that you haven't heard it before. What I'm saying to you, you've heard before, but you need to be reminded because sometimes we get into the state of dullness where we are complacent in what we know about God. And unfortunately, we take it for granted. That's everyone. So Peter says, here I am stirring up a sincere, I'm stirring it up, I'm wakening. Wake up, O sleeper, wake up, church of God. Hear what it is that is being said. What am I stirring up in you? A sincere, a pure, unsullied, one that is genuine understanding a disposition, a mindset that will not be moved. Why am I doing this and how am I doing this? Because it's already been written about. It's already been written about and we need to revisit the words of God through the holy prophets and the commandments of the Savior in order to understand how, as we are God's people, do we stay on his mission? He says, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers, so he's telling us scoffers and skeptics are coming in the last days. Well, when are the last days? Is that a long time off? No. A lot of times we think, oh, we've got time. This is not our time period. But here, understand this. The last days is right now. The last days happened when Jesus Christ came into the flesh. And here's the thing. The very first time God spoke in the New Testament after 400 years of silence, when he affirmed who Jesus was, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, because that was the beginning of his mission here on earth. We see the mission continuing on and that action taking place where Jesus spread the gospel. And then upon his departure, we see the last days being ushered in in the book of Acts when the day of Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised us came down and enabled us now through the Holy Spirit to continue on in the mission of God by expanding the church. So when we look at this little bit of text right here, and we'll keep moving forward because I'm going to be respectful of my time. Uh, let's look at this acronym that I want to give you for FIRM. The very first thing in FIRM is an F, focused faith. In order for us to carry out God's message, um, mission, we must have a focused faith. A focused faith that is truth is not found in what you see. If we look around us today, the world would tell us that our thought process as far as following the word of God is antiquated, that it's prejudicial, that it's hypocrisy. hypocritical, that it's not effective in today's day and age. Truth is not self-defined. I mentioned to you that postmodernism says that it's basically subjective. Whatever I believe is my truth. If that were the case and all of us had a different truth, how in the world would we ever discover what that looked like? So we need to be able to look to a force that does not change, a source that enables us to see what truth is as truth really is. Our faith 
must be focused on truth as defined by God's word, through his word. Here's the thing. Postmodernism has taught us that our reality is the reality. Truth is our truth. But if we are focused in our faith and firmly fixed on it, meaning not double-minded or tossed by the waves of doubt, we are more likely to believe in it as not our truth, but God's truth. And we know God never changes. The world and everything else in it changes by the day. But God never changes, nor are his words ever changed. Let's keep moving forward through our text in 2 Peter, verses 4 through 6. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water and through water by the word of God and that by that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. They're saying nothing's changed. There is nothing that has changed. God hasn't done anything in this world that we have seen because since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing. But they failed to remember that God spoke everything into existence. He spoke everything into existence. And when he spoke it into existence, he said it was good because he created it. They failed to realize that God again intervened in humanity's history when he brought the flood through Noah. There are times again where we have to be able to stand firm in what we know is true because otherwise what it does, it causes doubt in us. Did God really say? Does that sound familiar? It's the same thing since Genesis. Did God really say? In Genesis, that was the tactic that was used to bring about doubt, to minimize what God has said. Today, these scoffers that we're looking at, they're saying, did God really do anything? He didn't do anything. Yes, he did. But here's the thing. They deliberately overlook it because if they don't overlook it, then they can't come to terms with the truth that's right before them. So oftentimes, I am not one to say that God's word needs to be argued. It does not, but it does need to go out. Oftentimes, what will happen is because people are so argumentative with believers, we won't even say the simplicity of the truth that it holds. If we don't allow it to go out, and as the word of God says, when it goes out, it will not return void. We have to be the ones to carry it out. God did very specific things, and he did it in a way where he intended for the evidence that he brought through creation, through the flood with Noah, again, when he brought Jesus Christ to this earth in the flesh, and when he spoke and said, this is my son who I am well pleased. That was God intervening with history. They choose to not even see that. So therefore, that is not their truth. But God did intervene and he did provide the perfect sacrifice so that we could be reconciled to him. We're going to continue on with our acronym. And the I is for inspired influence. Now, influencers, we know today that's a big thing. Actually, our oldest daughter is a social media influencer. That's what she does for a living. It is a real thing. 
But influencers, what they do is they use their position to cause others to follow. Have you ever thought of yourself as an influencer for the kingdom? Inspired influencers, Jesus mastered influencing long before social media. He set his sights on the world and carried the gospel to the group of 12 and then 11 and then 12 for them to continue to carry out that influence. Not only did Jesus model what it means to be an influencer, but he prophesied in John 14, 11 through 13, his followers would do greater works when he said, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Jesus was going to the Father and his understanding of what would happen now with God's mission as he had completed his portion of it here on earth was that those who followed him would continue on through the power and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to continue carrying God's message. So we need to have a focused faith. We need to have inspired influence and that influence coming from God. I tell my kids, here's the thing about influence. There are, there's good influence, there's bad influence. You can be one or the other. You can choose to lead people and influence them, or you can be influenced by people, either good or bad. I have asked them and challenged them as we have raised our kids as a missional family to influence, but to influence for God. The same is true for us. We were not just called to God and receive the gift of salvation just for it to be our own. But it was supposed to be that we shared that gift with others. So as Second Peter goes on in verses 7 through 8, he says, But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. When people read this text right here, how can a God who's so loving still expect that it would be okay for him to bring judgment. Well, because of his love, he does. But here's the beauty of it. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. The thing about it is the scoffers were saying God hasn't done anything. If my, and my husband shared this in a message a, a little while ago. If God looks at one day as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day, then that means that he came to this earth just two days ago. You think in terms of that. But God being the author of time is the one who controls time and says what's supposed to happen. But here's the beauty of it. He's not bound by time either. So when we're looking at this, we have to understand to look at it from a concept of the way God sees time, not the way we see time. The last days is happening right now. And 2 Peter is telling us to take a moment to take a look at it from God's vantage point, not our own. Because if God is using us as his instruments in order to bring about truth to this world, are we doing that with eternity in mind? Every day when we get up, our objective should be such where eternity is the goal, not only for ourselves, but those within our sphere of influence. 
the R in firm is for rightly or righteously resolved. Again, I'm going to ask you a question. When you walked in here this morning, did you see yourself as being righteous? Do you think of yourself as being righteous? Now, righteousness does not mean perfection, which is oftentimes one of the reasons why we don't necessarily always pursue righteousness. Righteousness means that we are looking to make decisions rightly, rightly determined by who? Not ourselves, but God. We are rightly, righteously resolved in the sense of resolve, meaning we cannot be moved in our perspective. It is what we have decided and we stand firm on it. Righteously resolved is to find an answer, to make clear or understandable, to reach a firm decision about. Here's the thing, and I said this in the statistics, people oftentimes don't believe because Christians, followers of Jesus Christ are unsure of what it is we believe. Why are we unsure? A lot of times it's because we're not getting into the word in order to see what it is that God is saying and not just rush through it, but take the time to really simmer in it get the fullness of it, and then allow it to be reflected in our lives. The word of God is not just something that we hear, that we study, and that we believe. But the way people know that we believe it is because of our actions. Revelation 12, 10, and 11 says they will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, the action, the, the story that we are telling to others about the faithfulness of God. We'll go on through 9 and 10, verses 9 and 10, where it says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance that is the beauty of it, and this is the, the graciousness of God. He's not slow, but he's giving us time to fulfill the mission that he started. He's being patient. His patience is so that we will not perish, so that others will not perish because they come into a saving knowledge of Christ. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. People will look at that text there, the verse 10, and say, well, the scoffers are saying, well, if there is a God, he's just cruel, because this is all he's going to do is destroy everything. But ultimately, verse 9 tells us, it assures us, as Peter reminds us, what can be considered God's slowness is the evidence of his graciousness and his patience. He is so very patient. I'm reading a book right now. I just started it, and within the introduction, it's a book, it's a book by Jackie Hill Perry called Holier Than Thou, and it's taking a look at God, and she has this quote in the sense of, if doesn't belong in front of God is holy. Since he, God, is holy, he can and should be trusted it is not a matter of if God's word is true. His word is true, and we as believers are the one that carry that message to this world. 2 Peter 3, 11, 13 goes on to say, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be in the lives 
in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day. This is my point right here within this message. Peter is saying, what type of people ought we be? We ought to be ones with holiness and godliness. When you walked in here this morning, did you see yourself as holy? Do you count yourself as holy, meaning being set apart for God for his purposes? If we negate that fact of who we are in Jesus Christ, how do we effectively carry out the mission? We are separate. We are separated and set apart for God. And godliness does not mean that we are God. It does not mean we are perfect, but we seek after the things of God, his character, his traits, and his actions. One of the things that I will say at the mission when we're doing outreach or anything like that is before you do, get your Jesus on. That means to emulate the fruits of his spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the long-suffering. If we don't do that, how will the world ever see our God? Verse 13, but according to his promises, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, in which the only precept, the only belief, the only truth, the only worldview is right living before God. That is our responsibility in God's mission. Our M in firm is to magnify the Messiah's message. People are quick to talk about God. You notice this. People will talk about God today, but they are not talking about the same God that oftentimes we are talking about because you will notice they do not talk about Jesus. They just talk about God, especially here in the San Francisco Bay Area. But we have the responsibility to magnify the Messiah's message because that's what he did when he came. God gave him the edict to spread the word of the gospel. And then he gave it to his followers and they gave it to us. For us to carry this message that God gave Jesus to save the world. And he is patiently waiting to keep us from perishing without him. Our mandate, if we look at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, it says go. There is nowhere where it says come to my church. It says go. We need to be on mission for God. And granted, once we go, people will come. But I think the pandemic helped us to shake that up just a little bit, where we realize the church is not the building. The church is the people of God, and the church is the bride of Christ, and the bride being faithful to Christ is supposed to help bring forth his mission. With a focused faith, inspired influence, righteously resolved to magnify the Messiah's message, we can carry out what it is that God has called us to carry out. Second Peter goes on and he says, 14 through 16, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without a blemish and at peace. Without a blemish means that you are following through with that righteous living. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Only God is perfect. 
I think we beat ourselves up sometimes because we feel like we're not enough to do what it is that God has called us to do. Let me tell you something. You're not enough. None of us are. But it's through the Holy Spirit working through us that we're able to do by making ourselves available to him. That's how we are enough. Because God is enough. And God in us will enable us to do what it is he's called us to do. And count the patience of of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. Paul has letter after letter after letter after letter to the churches that the Lord helped him to see come into existence constantly with this reminder and this encouragement. Again, not that you've never heard it before. You have heard it before. And in God, we have exactly what we need in order to carry it out. Last two verses, 17 through 18. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, you're on notice. You cannot say you don't know because you do know because we are reminded through this message. Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. The world should not be influencing us. We should be influencing the world. And the way we influence the world is through our confidence, through the power of the Holy Spirit to share what God has said. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's how we become godly because we grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. That prayer is my prayer for us today. That you would grow in the grace and the knowledge, not your own knowledge, but in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And use that knowledge that he has given you to share with the person that you're standing in line behind at the grocery store when you have the opportunity to share with your neighbors. And though you know they may not want to hear about your Jesus, your heart's desire should be to share anyway and then let God do the work with the seeds that you've planted. As we do this outreach next week, that is what our hope is, that we will just engage our culture for Jesus. Yes, we're going to give them some things to meet their physical needs, but ultimately it's about meeting their spiritual needs to introduce them to Jesus. Let me close out with this prayer for you from Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Holy Spirit, empower us to be firm witnesses of Jesus to this world and to fulfill God's mission within it. God, be glorified and receive your just reward in and through our lives as we share you faithfully with this world. Quench our fear and ignite our fire. 
for the nations which you have brought to our doorsteps here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Let us not make any excuses, but use us so that you might be glorified. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and we thank you. Amen. Amen.